0: Wow. Wow. That's a super, super, super. Oh, Super! that's a brilliant follow-up play by
1: Mahé! Oh my goodness, man, what a shot!
0: Sargou said. ahead! the Hello.
2: This is Brian Campion and Handball Hour is back and I'm joined by Alex and Chris as always and we now finally know our finalists for the World Championship 2023 and it is France and Denmark after one pretty incredible semi-final and one maybe slightly, not a slightly, very disappointing second semi-final but we do have our finalists so how are you feeling boys? Especially you, Chris, after your epic three match commentary day yesterday.
1: Who would have thought it would peak with Germany, Egypt in the opening game of the day? <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was the best game of the day, right? Everyone missed it, including me. It was the best game of the day overall. It's interesting because um, I think it's always, you always get such a different feel when you're in the arena to outside. And I was kind of surprised actually uh, by what you guys were writing in WhatsApp about it being kind of a, a dud. So I've been thinking a lot about that and like why it would be perceived that way. But I, what's your take on it? Was it just that it was it was a little bit one sided? Like there was no grand, there's no grandstand comeback in the second half. What was it? A five goal win in the end for for France's brilliant performance by them. But you're saying it's a bit of a dud because there was no drama.
2: At the end, I just think from a from a neutral perspective, it just felt like there was such a big gap between the teams, and I think I'm not sure if it, if it was just solely down to <clears throat> solely down to Sweden missing Jim Godfrey who broke his hand in the game in the previous game, but it just kind of felt like there was quite a big gulf in, and it felt like felt like the power coming from the French team as well, especially the power in the line position and coming from the backcourt, it just seemed like there was a big a big gulf in class there. And just for for a semi final as a neutral a neutral neutralist as a neutral, is um, it was just a little bit dis- disappointing in that regard compared to the drama we saw with the with the Spain game the mm-hmm. Spain Denmark game that was uh, really edgier seed stuff. So going on semi finals that we've seen in the past, often the semi finals are the best games of the tournament because often the finals that they're it can be a bit cagey sometimes, but the semi finals the players are really going for it, and it just it was a shame to see. Sweden maybe not living up to the expectation they set for themselves from the games coming into it, but I think we really saw yesterday how good France are, and any doubt that maybe Alex was having previously, I think you probably put to the bed that we now have the two best teams of the tournament facing off on Sunday.
0: For sure, and I think it's, you know, we give a lot of shit to Spain, uh, especially me, but they <laughs> make it exciting. You know, because they have this never-say-die attitude, and there was about 15 minutes left in that first semifinal, and Spain were down by five goals, and Paul Bray was on commentary saying, oh, Denmark can start thinking about the final... And I was th- there like, have you ever watched Spain? Are you serious? You know, I was ready for that comeback. And it, and it happened to an extent. Mm. And you just know that Spain are always going to stick in the game. And maybe they're not the, the most technically gifted, the best team in the tournament. But they they just have something that you know you can't count them out. I just didn't get that feeling with Sweden. Even though they kept it close, they made a c- couple of comebacks. It just never felt like they're going to come back, especially without Ian Gofferson, because that, mm-hmm. that's his job. That's his job to drag the team back into it. And I think that's why it, it felt a little bit like, you know, it was basically at the start of the second half, I had that feeling of this game is really over. It's, it's, it's going to take something momentous from Sweden, and it didn't really come.
1: Should we start focusing on that game then, the Sweden-France game? The big takeaway for me was mostly just how impressed I was by France in this game, and going back to also like the Mm. the anticlimactic side of it, I felt very early on that France had a real target, not just in terms of their setup on the court, but also in terms of influencing the occasion because they knew that like the was stacked against them. Also with this 19,000 crowd that they, they played in a way that they were going to really try and kill all the the joy out of the occasion for the Swedish fans and make it frustrating, not just for the players, but also for the, uh, for the arena. And the way they played the tempo, they played the game, they were really good at setting the pace and just making it a difficult evening for everyone involved. I think they were brilliant in that way. And I'm so impressed with how easy they made playing with the line look because it was just like they they didn't go wrong. Ten goals and I think three penalties, all from the line. Fabregas and Tournat they were incredible, and the backcourt just uh, were so good at at finding them. It it looked so easy, and it's not easy.
0: I noticed that as well. Of course, that was the main. Thing that France were able to get to their lines, and their line players are fantastic. I have to say that they, the French line players, are a great combination of a moving line player and like a big uh, battling line player. So both like Fabregas and Terna, they they can battle and set their position and open up space, but they also move in and around the line really mm-hmm. well, and that helps. When, you know, you saw them getting completely open time and time again on the line where it wasn't a battle to receive the ball. They were just getting in space. But what also helps is that France are probably the only team in this championship that have three proper jump shooters in the backcourt. And that obviously helps is helped by Remily playing as a playmaker. Who Remily had a fantastic game. He really um, dominated the game. But having Prandy, who's just, you know, he's just a powerhouse, having Remily, who can just, he he is a top backcourt shooter, and we all know about what Deacon Mem can do. The thing is, you just, the defense has to step out on them. And even though, those three players I mentioned, they didn't have the greatest games. Prandi was two from six, um, 33%. Mem was just over 50%. And Remli was just under 60%. And it's, you know, they had good games, but it's not like they were shooting lights out. But mm. because they can all shoot from 10 meters, it means that the Swedish defense just had to step out on them. But I think... Sweden made a little bit of a mistake because in the first half Palica was actually stopping the backcourt shooters. You know, they, they were getting it to line and Palica had no chance when mm-hmm. they had the free shots. But from the backcourt, he was relatively comfortable. But Sweden, I don't know, maybe they got too excited with the occasion, with the fans that, you know, you have these shooters in front of you you have to go out, you have to hit them but if they just maybe stepped a little bit back especially when all those balls were going to the line and just focused on closing down the line players and said come on prandi just beat us that could have been a change but you know you're you're forced to do it you have three amazing players and the last point on that is that france are missing six backcourt players <laughs> they're missing angasson Brié, who was injured for that. Nikola Karabatic was injured. Carl William Willemont, and Mean. And they were still able to just tear apart Sweden.
2: When we talk about how good France were offensively in, on the line position, I think also, it, I mean, uh, oh. Alec, you tweeted out about how good the centre block of, uh, of um, France is at the back as well. And when you compare that to how difficult it looked for Sweden to get the ball to their line at times... It was just like it just yeah. sucked. I think all the all the power out of the whole team. That plus Jim gone out of the team is like they went from having a. I'm not I'm not a much I'm not a big man on cc engines, so I don't know what's a high cc engine. But they went from a, a certain cc engine. Let's say I don't know 200 to to 70 maybe. in Felix Clara, Felix Clara had a very very tough day. I think yeah. I think he was was he three from nine or in the end so they needed him to be the guy who stepped up and it just looked like he didn't have it didn't have it in him at all and he was completely swarmed by the by the french defense but yeah they looked like an absolute they looked like an absolute juggernaut out there and um and also they helped help them also that Gerard actually defi- decided to play a game of handball today yeah. or yesterday finally uh, when he turns up you know you know France are going to be very difficult to beat.
1: Vincent Gerard going so in the pr- two previous semi-finals against Sweden four saves from 48 shots, 12 saves yesterday 32%. Um there's two more things that really stood out for me during the game. France and their transition defense was amazing. Like they they didn't give oh, yeah. Sweden anything on the counter. But also Sweden forgot about their wing players on both sides because we were talking about you know, you can't cover everyone in the fence, but there was a very early hint that, you know, Dylan Nahi is is a streaky wing player. He missed his he missed his only shot from the wing. Give up the wings. I think Palika would rather face Yannick Len or Giannis Len and Dylan Nahee. Ten times, <laughs> then uh, face Fabregas, and and yeah, I mean, they, it happens all the time. They 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 could have given up the wings there and see how that goes. And on the same side, the backcourt players, you know, with their whole transfiction on not having Ingeoffredson, forgot that they have some of the very best wing players in the world. Hampus Vanna ran up and down all day, didn't get didn't get a touch. Finally, got two goals right at the end. And uh, Daniel Pedersen was brilliant, but again, he had to wait. 35 minutes for his first two shots uh so i i i was a bit flabbergasted by that because i'm pretty sure the wingers would have had their opportunities and uh then it could be a completely different game but not to be i think france were just were were dominant really physically as well as tactically um and how they delivered yeah it's great to see this bunch of French players like combine like that and, and deliver performances. It uh doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it's damn good. And uh it was good to see. They did a great job sucking out the atmosphere in the arena, and I saw on Twitter, Swedish Twitter was uh was pretty harsh on the Stockholm folk. I mean it's it's always hard to to compare it, I think, people watching at home to in the in the arena itself, but uh I saw some non-Stockholm people uh, giving the fans shit, (laughs) the Aventis, as they call them, and said, we need every game in Gothenburg from now on. (laughs) Uh, Because, uh, yeah, not a lot of love for the the fans there. People were leaving before the end, which uh, was a sign there was a lot of football fans in there. Those that were leaving uh, didn't appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, maybe sometimes a 22,000-seat
0: arena is just too big. Yeah. I have to just give credit to Guillaume Gilles, uh, for this French squad. Um, he's a rookie coach, absolute legend of a player, but a rookie coach, uh, that has come in, uh, as you said, they tactically outclass Sweden in every single way. Mm-hmm. And this whole, it seems like this French team is just one wave of excellent handball. You know, it's, it's not individual players. It's not individual styles they just they they come through as a wave and just demolish everything in their way and i think a lot of that comes down to Guillaume gil and he should definitely get a lot of credit for how this french team is playing
2: if you signed up to our patreon you'll know that you we've had this uh, discord server uh or discord what do you call it i'm such an old man <laughs> discord, discord, discord server yep discord discord you server is fine you had it oh i had it oh god and uh, it's actually been very, very active over the uh, World Championship, and it uh, especially uh, yesterday, it was really kicking off. And uh, just want to give some shout out to some of the comments. Matt also posted this morning in there that uh, the French team are on the front of l'équipe, which isn't something that happens quite often. Um, because you know, Le Kip is obviously hugely dominated by football in France, and it's uh, don't speak French, but I think it says "Magic Blues" on the, well, well, the front cover the of, the, of Le, Le Kip. There, <laughs> Magic <laughs> Blue. I, I'm not even going to try it anymore. After my uh, Thé Brié thing from years ago, I'm not even going to try anything to speak French in this podcast <laughs> again. But uh, did, did you know that Les Experts or whatever finished in 2018? So is this their new name now? Maybe the Magic Blues? Magi that would quite Blu- nice. Blu. Actually, wouldn't I it? I like it. Ah, uh, that's a nice name. It is a nice name, isn't it? Or blue Maybe we'll put that on Twitter later. Because uh, I saw, you see every now and again, still, people still calling them Les experts but I think they retired that back in 2018, uh, according to Wikipedia, anyway. Yeah, I
1: wouldn't call them that anymore. It's a generational no. thing, isn't yeah. it?
0: And this generation deserves a new name. Yeah. It is It is the end of Nikola Karabatic. Uh, that, he was the last kind of hanging on beacon of that team. He's still around, of course, but the fact that they just didn't need him for the semi-final speaks volumes to Mm. this generation shift.
1: Can I just say one one more player that we haven't mentioned, but we do love on this podcast, Kanto Mahé. Oh yeah. Came on for four penalties in the first half of the game, but looked like he was playing a whole match (laughs) just for the penalties. Soaked. 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 (laughs) He came out of the shower and, uh, but then came on for 13 minutes then towards the, the end in the second half. And, Really showed something different completely. Five assists in that period of time. That really like hammered home the advantage. He connected again connected with the uh, the line players really well, and uh, it's just great when you can have someone like that. Who you just throw on for twelve minutes to when you're done with having too many left handers in the backcourt, like raging bull Cantamaye, just ready to go and tear things up.
0: What we talked about in the last podcast, where France have just so many options of styles of play that they have these backcourt cheaters and then they're like, okay, I come on and just break teams apart. And he just does that immediately. And we just love him. I just love
2: him. Just his intensity with those penalties as well, whacking them in, screaming his head off, run off the court, and just sits down put his top back on waits for the next <laughs> penalty. I mean, that's, that's a true pro-elect, you know?
1: So, should we move on to uh, the first semifinal?
0: Spain against Denmark. We saw how important penalties are in handball and to have penalty takers that are confident. Um, that really showed in the end of that first semi final where it, it was just a goalkeeper battle. I think it was one of the best goalkeeper duels I've. <laughs>